Awesome. Thank you so much for leading us. And you just think of it. Throughout the world, God has his people, those who've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, and they're singing praises to the living God. Despite our fears and our failures, our focus is upon him. And God is glorified even in the midst of this pandemic through the praises of his people. Would you be seated as we just go before the Lord now in prayer? If you want to just bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to use Psalm 18 as our basis for prayer this morning. Would you make this your prayer? For you, O Lord God, you save an afflicted people, but haughty eyes you abase. For you, light my lamp. The Lord, my God, illumines my darkness. For by you, I can run upon a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in him. Would you praise the Lord right now that he saves the afflicted? Would you thank the Lord that he has saved you, afflicted with sin, even in the midst of your great trials? He has given you his presence, his peace, and his love. Would you thank him? Would you thank the Lord that he is our light and our lamp? Would you thank him for the blessings and abilities he has given you? And would you praise him that he is a God of revelation, of self-revelation, specifically how he's revealed himself in the scriptures he has given us? Would you worship him right now that he is absolutely holy, completely pure? And for the times that we've not walked in his holiness, where we were allured to sin and really weren't thinking of the Savior, would you right now just confess any sin that the Spirit of God brings to your mind? Agree with him, repent. And just receive that just unconditional love that you have in Christ. So do that now. Would you thank the Lord that he is a shield to those who take refuge in him? And would you now just specifically thank God for blessings in your life? Perhaps those things that you've even taken for granted. Would you right now just tell God in personal prayer how grateful you are? And for your personal requests, whether it be for you, your heart, your soul, for others, physical ailments, the issues in our world, would you come before the Lord now and bring these to him?
Lord, we pray for all the victims of Hurricane Laura, for all of those who are bringing relief. God, we're asking that you would be merciful and you would give the hope of Christ to those who are facing a very uncertain future. Lord, we pray that you would bring an end to this pandemic. God, you and you alone can do this. We recognize and thank you that you're accomplishing your purposes even in the midst of it. We're asking God that you would bring protection for all of our students and teachers, administrators, as we seek to move forward in educating our kids in a variety of settings. Lord, would you be our protector? Lord, we'd ask that you bring an end to abortion in our land, that we would see the dignity in every human life. We pray, Lord, that you would bring peace in our nation in the midst of such racial tension and riots, so many voices and so much confusion. God, we're praying for the peacemakers and the peace of Christ. We pray for the furthering of the gospel, and we're asking God that every believer would live out their role as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And so, Lord, we come before you. We worship you with our hearts, our minds, our lives. These offerings that we've presented to you, whether we placed in the box when we walked in, or we've given online, or we've mailed them in, we're doing this just as an expression of our devotion to you to say, God, we love you. You are worthy of all of our worship. So Lord, as we lay our lives before you, we're asking that you would, through the working of your spirit, bring bring about the transformation of your people. And so we pray through the power of Christ and in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's so good to see each of you this morning. I tell you what, I just love the opportunity of just being able to see your faces, even with the mask. I know you're smiling. And for all of you who are joining us online, it is just a great delight that we can worship the Lord together. I would like to ask if you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And we must be absolutely certain how we are to live as kingdom citizens in the midst of a broken world. And that is exactly what is taking place. We have brokenness everywhere. This pandemic has brought the world to its knees. We have also brokenness uh, in our families, in our nation. There is civil unrest. There are riots. There are racial tensions. We have our own personal problems. This pandemic has created all sorts of economic problems. We have folks that have lost their jobs, have a high degree of uncertainty, There's really problems everywhere. We could describe it as brokenness. And until Christians have an absolute clarity to the answer of this question, how are we to live as kingdom citizens in a broken world? We are not going to fulfill God's purposes in our time. And this is so critically important. You see, what Jesus wants his disciples to do is to live out their calling and their identity as salt and light. Last week we saw it in Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. We spent a whole week looking at this statement that Jesus says we are the salt of the earth. And today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 16 where Jesus says, you are the light of the world. If we were to reduce it down to just one word, what is God's intention for his disciples? It would be the word influence. 
He does not want us to live in isolation. He doesn't want us to go underground. He wants to move his people forward. We live by faith, and he wants us to be living as his light in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, on our jobs, in our church, and when we walk out these doors. So how do followers of Christ fulfill our role as the light of the world? That's why Matthew chapter 5, is verse, verses 14 through 16, are so critically important. Until you and I own this, we likely are not living out the purposes he's intended. So how do we do it? First of all, we fulfill our role as God's light in this world by knowing who we are. Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, the source of that light is Jesus himself. But we who believe, we who are his disciples, are the recipients of that light. And that's who he's speaking to. Remember Matthew chapter 5, verse 1? He is speaking to his disciples, and we are the light of the world, but only by virtue of the fact that we have relationship with Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12? He says, then Jesus spoke to them again, saying... I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, prior to placing your faith in Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you and I walked in darkness. My life, prior to knowing Jesus, darkness. Same with you. And if you're here today, and you really never truly trusted in Christ, let me tell you that great void in your life that you try to fill with all these different things and it completely lets you down. In fact, you feel even worse. The fact that you've got a wreck, all this wreckage in relationships, you lack purpose, you have no certainty of your future, you don't even have a, an actual relationship with God and you know it, let me just tell you why. You're still in darkness. The great division is those who are trusting in Christ, they know and have relationship with the light, versus those who have yet to do so. And Jesus said, like in John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come as light to the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. And so that's what God is doing. He sent Jesus as the light of the world. When Jesus speaks of light, when he says, I'm the light of the world, it's saying that he is the essence of God. To be light is to be creator, redeemer, and revealer. And Jesus says, you really want to know God? He says, I am he, and I will illuminate. I will show you. In fact, like it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, it says that for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So who we are is critically important. We are to live out our identity as those who are in relationship with Christ, it's kind of like this. Believers function like um, a building with stained glass. Like, you've seen that. You've seen buildings, and they have stained glass. And, like, in the sun, you know, that glass kind of, like, all glistens. You see all the different colors. It's pretty cool. But in the darkness, when it's dark out, uh, you look at that same stained glass window, and it's just like, it's just, you can't see anything. But when there is a light inside, when the lights are turned on, all of a sudden those panes of glass take on a whole new life. Light shines through them. 
That is who you are if you are a believer. The light of Christ has taken up residence in your life. He is the Holy Spirit, and he shines through your life. This is absolutely critical for us to understand who we are. And notice he says, you are the light of the world. It's not that you must become the light of the world, like kind of get your act together. He says, this is your identity. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you are in relationship with him. You are the light of the world. And notice also the you is plural. A singular ray of light can certainly make a difference. But when you have rays of light that are banded together, all of a sudden there can be significance, significant light shining. So if you and I are to live out our role as those who are the light of the world, we must first of all know who we are. But second, we must know why we are here. And that's exactly what Jesus covers. He says, verse 14, you are the light of the world. And he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He's saying, you are like a city that's set on a hill. And, and in Israel, many of the little villages and the cities, they are actually on a hill. And that's because when a city was destroyed, uh, they would actually just build upon that. In fact, they're called tells. And there'd be this mound of dirt. And in fact, there would be oftentimes city after city built on top of each other. And also, it provided a little bit of defense. If you're ever under attack, you always want to have the high ground, right? And so he says, you are like a city that is set on a hill. You cannot be hidden. In fact, you are in a position for people to see you. That's who you are as a Christian. And then he gives another example. He says in verse 15, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And so this would be very common. And Jesus is using uh, illustrations that people would be very familiar with. And so a lamp in Jesus' time, and here's a picture of one, would be this like little clay dish. It had two openings. One, you would pour the oil in one opening. On the other opening, you'd have a wick made of like cotton or flax. And that would serve as the basis for your light when there is darkness. So for instance, at night... What you would do is you would light the lamp and you would put it on a lampstand, like kind of like the equivalent, like a board kind of sticking out on the side of your wall, and that would produce all the light that you would have. Now, you need to understand that in Israel at the time of Jesus, almost all of the homes were just one big open room, and it wasn't even that big. So you know how we're like, man, I'm really tight in my apartment here. I need room. Well, that is nothing compared to what most of the people in Israel lived with 2,000 years ago. And so you put that lamp on that lampstand, and it would illumine the room. Now, it would be absolutely foolish to like, oh, I'm going to put this basket over the lamp. I mean, all of a sudden, there'd be darkness again. You might even put out the light. And he says, Jesus says this, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. You see, we are meant to shine. That is God's intention for his people. And so he's like an author, Oskinis, said this. The main problem with American Christians is not that they aren't where they should be, but they are not what they should be right where they are as doctors and housewives, lawyers, computer salesmen, or nurses. You see, God intends to shine his light through his love 
flowing through his people. That has always been his intention. And once, we used to walk in darkness. But that's all changed once we've entered into relationship with Christ. Like Ephesians 5, 8 says this, You were formerly of darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So what role does Christ's light in his people have in this world? So when we talk about that we are the light of the world, and that's what Jesus is saying, what does, what does that mean? Well, first of all, light is a gift. It's a gift that reveals God's goodness, his greatness, and his glory. People that know Christ are living proof of God's existence, and they actually show the world what it's like to know God. It actually shows them what God is like. And so what we do is we shine the light. We do not live incognito. It's been said that uh, there's no such thing as a secret discipleship disciple. Either the secrecy is going to wreck the disciple or the discipleship is going to wreck the secrecy. And so we don't hide our light, but we let it shine. We let it shine in our interactions with people. We let it shine by not denying the truth, by not just going with the flow. We let it shine by when we see needs, we actually step in and try to address them. We don't deny the truth. We will be willing to go against the grain of society or the flow of culture because, after all, we are the light of the world. And so that changes really everything. As a Christian, that changes how we function on our jobs. If we're an employer, how we treat our employees. It functions our daily language. It affects uh, the literature that we read, how we treat people, especially the marginalized. It changes how we see humanity, recognizing that everybody has been created in God's image and deserving of full dignity. This all comes because light is a gift. Another purpose of light is that light is not only a gift that reveals God's goodness and his greatness and his glory, but light is also a guide. If you've ever seen like an estuary, so kind of like the, the mouth of a river and that where the tidal entrance is, you will find that there will be a series of lights along the bank. And what those lights are meant to do is to guide ships that are making their way into these great rivers, having already been on the ocean. And that's one of the purposes of believers. We are to point people to Jesus. We show them not only who God is and what he's like, but we point the way to relationship with him. And people see us. We live in such a way where our ethics and our morals are following and tethered to his book, the scriptures. We, we value life, life at every stage, the, the preborn, the newborn, at every age. We value of every race. We recognize that every single person is created in God's image. We actually look at institutions like marriage and family, and we see them from the scriptures, and we live them out. And I want you to know that has an effect. It has an effect of pointing people to Christ. And you and I are tethered to the absolute authority of God's word. We live in a culture that says you just kind of make it up as you go. And hence, things are flipping around and changing, and we use similar terms or even the same terms, and we redefine them. I want you to know that you and I are the light of the world, and we shine the light of truth, the light of Christ. We are a guide. And let me give you one other purpose of light. 
Light can also be a guard, a warning. Hey, this is danger. And this is one of the roles that believers have in society. And that is to warn when an individual or as a, as a community, we're moving into danger. And what this looks like is you speak the truth in love. But I tell you, that is one of the needs of the church today, is that we function as light. And it's not necessarily easy when you see someone moving in a direction that's going to create harm. But this, let me just tell you what this looks like. You just say, hey, listen, I want you to know that I love you and I see the direction of where you're going. I want you to know you probably keep going on that path. You're going to have destruction that you have never anticipated. You see, when people are engrossed and enamored with sin, when they're very self-centered and thinking only of themselves, they never think of consequences. Only this, like, oh, I'll just be so much better. Life will be so much happier if I just have this, whatever it might be. And so you say, you know, you're not really thinking of the implications of this decision, how it's going to affect you personally, like down the road when you have to look at yourself in a mirror 10 years from now or your family that you're about to lose or your extended family or those grandkids that haven't even been born. You do not know how these actions will influence them. And so you speak the truth in love, light, is a guide. Light is a guard. And so we are like a lighthouse to others. We're like a welcoming lamp. We're like a guiding star. And we care about folks. We're a guarding light. And so we're not called to be private Christians. Jesus says, you are the light of the world, right? Not the light of the church. Yeah, right now the place is just glowing, right? figuratively speaking, because believers are gathered. But you know who needs the light? The world does. The folks that are on the other side of those doors that don't know God and their life, it reflects that. There's a huge void. They miss out on relationship, forgiveness. They have no certainty for their eternity. So what keeps us from shining, shining like we should? I mean, there's so many Christians that are doing such an amazing job. I mean, it's just, just joy to be around. And they're, they're influencing their communities and schools. They are, they are the light on the force, right? They're that, that one employee that just like, there's just something different about them. So what, though, keeps us from shining like we should? Well, I'm going to just throw out a few reasons. One is the strategies of Satan. Now, when we talk about Satan's strategies, you know, some folks kind of like just get so focused on that. In fact, they're fixed on Satan and what Satan might be doing in his strategies, I want you to know we're supposed to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? But you do need to have an awareness of his strategy. And let me just tell you what this looks like. Satan seeks to create shame, to silence believers, to get us to be discouraged and distracted. Satan will do whatever it takes to keep you from shining, to silence you, to have you go incognito, to do this little game. I'm going to shine on Sunday morning when I'm with the church. But after that, man, it's back to no one knows, and that's best. I really just fit in. And if he's got you in that pattern, and I want you to know that is a very prevalent pattern, he's got you. 
the light is dimming. You're not having the influence that God intends. You're certainly not living by faith. Let me give you another reason why Christians sometimes are just not shining like we should. And that is because we're succumbing to sin. We've capitulated. I mean, I want you to know that you and I are tempted every day on a regular basis. That is true of every single person here. We're tempted. They are solicitations to do evil. But you don't have to buy into them. You want to call them what they are. And you want to say, God help me. And I can assure you, like it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there is a way of escape. There is the way to say no. But when you and I just start succumbing to sin, and we don't even get into patterns where we're confessing our sin, we're just kind of eaten up by it, you're still the light of the world. You're just not shining like you should. The light has been dimmed. Let me give you a third, though. A third reason why we don't oftentimes shine like we should. And that's because we, we're not seeing the importance of sanctification. We don't see the importance of being developed, the progress of our faith and our growth in relationship with Christ. And so it, it kind of looks like this. Let's say you really blew it back earlier in your life. Okay? And, I, and I say it, and you're just like, oh, man, did I ever make a disaster of it. Maybe even while you are a Christian. You were a Christian, and you still you know, just made a disaster of things. And so what happens is you think, like, you know what? I could never, I could never shine the light because of my past, what I did. In fact, I even knew better. I was even warned. I was under deep conviction even when I did it. I could never shine. And so what happens is you kind of like just spend the rest of your life like on all fours just kind of groping around thinking like I'm really of no good and I most certainly cannot shine the light. If you have adopted that mindset, I got some news for you. You are wrong. God intends to shine his light through you. And so, so what? If your past was one that was marked with lots of anger, Maybe you were known for your promiscuity, your heavy drinking, your drug use, uh, your ethics that were lacking integrity. I want you to know that if growth is taking place because of your relationship with Christ, the light is shining ever so bright. It, like People see that and like, she's just not the same gal that she was three years ago. Man, look what's happened in that guy's life. That's growth. You know what that is? That's the light of Christ. That gives people hope. Like, man, if God can do that in that individual, why, there's even hope for me. Maybe God could do that in me, and indeed he can. But you see, salvation is instantaneous. The moment you place your faith in Christ, you are absolutely as certain that you are forgiven and you will spend eternity with Christ. But sanctification, growing in holiness, being set apart to God, that's a process. It requires progress, and God's in the business of providing that. And we fulfill our role as light of the world when we know who we are and how we are to live. We are to shine. Let me give you another. And this is how Jesus ends this section. We fulfill our role as light of the world when we know how we are to live. Look at this. That's exactly what Jesus tells us. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your 
good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God says, I want you to illuminate this world. So how do we shine? Like, okay, how is it that we're to shine? We're the light of the world. Well, what, what would that look like? Does anybody know? I mean, that would be helpful. You don't know? Okay, where do we find our answers? The Bible. Look what Jesus said, verse 16. You want to find out how to shine? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your, uh, there it is, your good works. What is a good work? A good work is God working good through his people. That's what a good work is. It's God working good through his people, whether it be just personally with your family, uh, at school, on the job, wherever you might be, in the gym. It's God working his good through his people. And I want you to know this is what you are created for. Like, you want to watch your mind snap? I want you to know that God has, from eternity past, planned out the good works he is seeking to manifest through your life. You want to see that? You're like, what? Yeah, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says this, For we are his workmanship. That word could be translated masterpiece. That's who you are, a masterpiece. And listen to what he says. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this is just amazing. That's hard to even fathom. God in eternity past has actually planned the good works that his people, specifically each individual, is to do to be manifested in this present time to bring about a present and future glory to him. How awesome is that? And that's exactly what God intends. And so we are to live in such a way that our life doesn't even make sense apart from God. And we do so through the shining of good works. And that can be in in great works and efforts like bringing hurricane relief to like all those that are struggling at this present time to just even helping a neighbor, uh, just even a kind smile, an encouraging word, the ability to listen and to just take in. Any good that God is doing through you is a good work. I mean, it can be great things like angel flight, and it can be very small things like just sewing a mask and giving it to someone who's struggling through a pandemic or giving a gift to a kid who's facing cancer. Now, you're saying, okay, good works. But what about like all the non-believers? Don't they do like good things? And they do. In fact, sometimes non-believers might even do more. Like that's always pretty troubling. When you see folks that don't know God, but they're doing a lot of good in society, and Christians go, I don't know what to do with that. And so we just don't even think about it. But is there a difference? And I want, to, I want you to know there absolutely is. A good work is anything that God is doing through his people and where he gets the glory. A good thing is just that. It's a good thing. God can use it, and he does, but God specifically has called us to shine the light 
through good works. And the purpose is what? What is the purpose of this? It is to glorify your Father who is in heaven. It isn't for the aggrandizement of the lamp to make you look really good. It's to bring God the glory. And this can easily get confused. You know, we all have like some motive issues, right? And you can actually, and this happens, right? Probably happened to you. It's probably happened to me. You do good things. And what you're really looking for is not that God gets the glory. I mean, that's, not, that's fine if that happens. But what you're really after is like, whoa, they think I'm a really cool person. And they tell me, you are just lovely and you're so awesome. And you're like, yes, I love to hear that. And so like, what's the next good thing that I can do? And if that's your motive, that's all it really is. It's a good thing. But God is after a good work. And what makes it a good work is that God is doing it. You're asking him for his strength. And you really want him to get the glory. You want them to sing and speak of God's praises. And so, friends, that is our calling, to live as light. In fact, we are to have a legacy of light, and we are in a long line of believers who have shined the light of Christ into a dark world. It's kind of like, like this text is saying, it's, it's all sourced in this personal relationship. If you've ever read the Gospel of Matthew, you know that this is the very first time that God is referred to as our Father. It's that personal, intimate relationship. And from this personal, intimate relationship with the Father and the Son, it's through the working of the Spirit that we shine the light. It's integrity. We're a whole. We love from the heart. It's, it's just true of our life. And we're kind of like a flashlight, You know, a flashlight draws its power from the batteries. And that's how it works for us. We draw our strength from Christ. And all we do is just shine a light. You don't have to be a big flashlight to make a big difference. All you have to do is to be on. And so let me tell you, you and I are called to influence. This is the Messiah's manifesto. The late John Stott wrote this. So if we are pessimists and we think that we are capable of doing nothing in human society today, I venture to say that we are theologically extremely unbalanced, if not actually heretical and harmful. It's ludicrous to say Christians can have no influence in society. It's biblically and historically mistaken. Christian churches had an enormous influence on society down its long history. So let me give you just a very simple approach of shining the light of Christ. One, just talk to God. It is the power of prayer. From the moment you have your first kind of recognized thought, when you're starting to come to, just begin by even just saying, good morning, God. Just learn to start talking with God as you go through the day because you're called into a relationship with him. So you talk to God, but then you also thank God. Gratitude is the gateway to peace and joy in your life. You don't have a lot of joy, you don't have a lot of peace. Let me just ask you one question. How thankful are you? Not very? Let's start there. You see, Wives that shine come from grateful hearts. That might make all the difference for you. And you see, to be a blessing, 
is to thank God for your blessings. So whatever it might be, your, your family, your finances, your job, the gift that God has given you, his spirit, his work, his word, when we're thankful, we have a way of radiating his light and his love. And then, so we talk with God, we thank God, but we must trust God by taking the initiative to do good. Don't wait for the feeling to hit. Reject passivity, accept responsibility, and take the initiative. And so, so you do. If you're kind of like, I've gotten really comfortable stiff-arming everybody, kind of living in my little bubble, hiding in the ground all the time, God is calling you out today. You are the light of the world. See your life as your ministry. You're not just a nurse. You're God's nurse. You're not an employee. You're not just a student. You're not a player on the team. You're not a musician in the band. You are God's. You are a Christian. You are the light of the world. And God has used his people for now 2,000 years to shine the light of Christ, who is the light of the world. And he does so through his people. And it's actually rather impressive. When you look at addressing massive needs, like needs like poverty, human trafficking, genocide, um, I want you to know, at the forefront are often Christians who are living out this verse. When we talk about angel flights or angel tree or Operation Christmas Child to bring gifts to children who are in need of the gospel and just some basic sanitary um, products, it's those who are the light of the world that are at the forefront. They have been mobilized. They actually believe. They take Jesus at his word, and they're saying, you've called me to shine. I'm going to move forward by faith. You see, the church is not to mirror the culture. The church is to minister to the culture. We're so caught up, like, how can we be just like the world, but just a little positive spin twist on it? No. We're the light of the world. We're drawing our strength and our light and our love from Christ, and we're ministering to it as his light. You see, you don't need a T-shirt that says, I am the light of the world. If you think like when you walk out these doors, we're going to be like selling those or giving to you. No, we're selling watermelons. We're not, we're not going to be giving you a T-shirt that says that. All you have to do is shine. All you have to do is shine. As light, we're to take the lead in love. And that's what is needed. There's all these people that are hurting. It's affecting people's minds. Christians need to take the lead to love. we got some serious racial tension issues. We shouldn't just like, oh, just hope it all works out. No, let's take the lead and love. There is hurt in our society, in our families. The Christian needs to shine the light of Christ. John Wesley had a rule of conduct. Take, this is pretty impressive. This is how he sought to live. And it's simply this. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. And that's how he sought to live his life. Why? He understood what Jesus said. You are the light of the world. You see, we fulfill our role as light of the world when people see the Lord in our life. 
I came across a really interesting article that was written in the San Francisco Chronicle of all newspapers. And I mean, this was on the front page several years ago. And it was an article about a bus driver. This is San Francisco. And it's a, really, it's a story written about this metro transit operator named Linda Wilson Allen. And I just want to read you just a little excerpt from this. This is San Francisco Chronicle writing about this bus driver named Linda. She loves the people who ride her bus, learns their names, and waits for them if they're late, and even makes up the time later on her route. A woman in her 80s named Ivy had some heavy grocery bags and was struggling with them. So Linda got out of her bus driver's seat to carry Ivy's grocery bags onto the bus. Now Ivy lets other buses pass her stop so she can ride on Linda's bus. Linda saw a woman named Tanya in a bus shelter. She could tell that Tanya was new to the area, and she was lost. It was almost Thanksgiving, so Linda said to Tanya, Hey, you're out here all by yourself. You don't know anybody. Come on over for Thanksgiving and kick it with me and the kids. Now they're friends. Linda has built such a little community of blessing on that bus that passengers offer Linda the use of their vacation homes. They bring her potted plants and floral bouquets. When people found out she likes to wear scarves to accessorize her uniforms, they started giving them as presents to Linda. Think about what a thankless task driving a bus can look like in our world. Cranky passengers, engine breakdowns, traffic jams, gum on the seats. You ask yourself, how does she have this attitude? And her mood is set at 2.30 a.m. Listen to this. When she gets down on her knees to pray for 30 minutes. Linda states, there's a lot to talk about with the Lord. She's a member of Glad Tidings Church in Hayward. I was so fascinated by this woman. I did some research. I found an interview that was conducted with her. I found out that she's actually the mother of six. One of her, ch- one of her children died. She had uh, been living on welfare, but when she came to know the Lord, I mean, she came from a very difficult setting. She came from a family of drug addicts, drinkers, smokers, but she gave testimony that her life changed when he, she put her faith in Christ. And this article went on to say this. When she gets to the end of her line, she always says, that's all. I love you. Take care. Can I ask you, when is the last time you ever heard a bus driver tell you, I love you? You ever have that? Me neither. You want to know, like, hey, where is? Where is the kingdom of God? I'll tell you where it is. It's in San Francisco, bus number 45. You want to know, where is the church? The church is actually behind the wheel. It's a woman named Linda. She's the light of the world. You see, we fulfill our role as the light of the world when people see the Lord in our lives. I'd like to ask you to do this. Could you, could you stand with me for just a minute?
I'm going to ask if you would just turn around, and I want you to look at those doors. And for those of you who are watching online, maybe you might even look at your front door. And what I'd like to do is I want to commission you with the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord,